What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Twins Talk. I'm your host, Ben Jones, from Tookie Town, joined by my co-host, John Ka from Pitcher List. John, how are you doing today? Well, you know, I thought I would be doing better, expecting a 2-1 series victory over <laughs> the Angels, but alas, the Twins, as usual, uh, just dash my hopes. So, you know, everything's normal, I guess, in, in, uh, in Twins land. Yeah, what, what else is new? Uh, in my game recap today on Twinkie Town, I titled it The Definition of Insanity. We're doing the <laughs> same thing over and over again, <clears throat> and we're getting the exact same results. So not a lot of surprises there. Um, one other question for you, John. Do you watch the show Succession? I do not, no. Well, I do. I'm a big fan. Uh, And for anybody that does, I think this kind of encapsulates watching Twins baseball so far this year. But in last week's episode, there was a moment where um, a character, Decision Desk Darwin, gets wasabi in his eyes. And then Cousin Greg tries to fix it by pouring a lemon real croy into his eyes. (laughs) And that's how I feel watching the Twins with the bases loaded. I feel like I have wasabi in my eyes. And then they put lemon LaCroix in my eyes to try to fix it. And that's basically the bases loaded approach. So yeah, it's, it's some bad optics. The stats surprisingly don't look as terrible, but I think, I think as twins fans, we're just designed to just look at, look at every situation and just, uh, it's just a microcosm. And so, uh, that's how we view every single basis loaded, no out sort of situation. And I mean, there is, there is some truth in there that they, do kind of suck in those situations, but I guess the bright, uh, the, the, uh, I'll, I'll tease a little bit. They're, they're about as bad as the rest of the league is maybe what the, uh, what the stats seem to indicate. 
Yeah, interesting. Uh, like John said, we'll get into that a little bit later here. But first, some programming reminders. Uh, be sure to follow our podcast on Twitter. You can follow us at Twins Talk Pod. And wherever you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe and listen and leave us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. Uh, so today, like always, we'll be going over the last week's games, some big takeaways, and then looking forward to the next week. Uh, we'll have a lot of angst, I'm sure, about the Twins hitting with the bases loaded. I'm going to have a clear-out moment just to talk about Griffin Jacks. Uh, but first, let's get to the games. Uh, so, John, let's start us off. Yeah, so uh, it was a two uh, wins and four losses week with two series losses, both of the Dodgers and the Angels. However, the Twins are still positive. They're 25 and 22 on the season. They are first in the AL Central, and they are still the still. Only, still the only AL Central team with a winning <laughs> record. It's um, it's kind of incredible. Detroit and Cleveland both have 20 wins right now. They're both under 500. The White Sox are right behind them with 19 wins, and Kansas City bringing up the rear at 14. Um, the fun thing is they all play each other this upcoming week, so expect a bit more jostling in the standings. Uh, maybe somehow the White Sox come out and you know end up second or something like that. Um, but yeah, the AL Central, it ain't pretty. <laughs> they, uh, I suppose, can't keep all losing if they're playing each other. So right, exactly. Twins will have some work to do this week for once. Yep. I mean, the, the only bright side is that Detroit, who's currently a second, is three and a half games behind us. But we also saw how good the Twins were with a lead last year and how quickly that evaporated. So uh, yeah, I, I'd say let's just get a big of a lead as we can before the inevitable August-September slump happens for this team. Definitely. I saw a tweet today from a White Sox fan. I don't remember who specifically. They're like, oh, the White Sox are only six and a half games back of the Twins now. Look out. I'm like, yeah, but you have 18 wins. I don't feel like you should you know, give it another couple weeks before you start uh, start talking some smack. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's nothing is pretty in AL Central land. Uh, even the Twins, I mean, we're three games above 500, but um, there's still plenty of angst in Minnesota to, to carry us through. Definitely. So the big uh, stories of this week, too, were obviously the lack of offense. There's still some high scoring numbers, but lack of coming through in big spots and injuries at the end of this week. We saw Nick Gordon, Jorge Polanco, Byron Buxton, uh, among others, go down this week. And, you know, hopefully none of them are long, but for a few, you know, we may be without Nick Gordon for a while. But before we get into that, let's start breaking down the individual games, starting with the Dodgers series and game one. Yeah, so it was a 9-8 loss. Pablo Lopez was the twin starter with 4.2 innings, five hits, five burn runs, four strikeouts, and uh, those five burn runs came on three homers. Obviously, any start that you give up three homers is never a good look. The only consolation is that Will Smith's homer and then Max Muncy's second homer would have not been homers in target field. Uh, they would have just been flyouts. Um, I think Will Smith's homer specifically... I think it would have been a homer in eight different parks. Max Muncy's second homer would have been a homer in four different parks. So maybe blame Dodger Stadium for a little bit of a friendlier, uh, friendlier outlook for those those hits. But uh, you know, no, I don't think there's really any reason to panic here. Just you know, these blowups do happen, especially when you run into two of the best hitters in the game. Max Muncy is at the top of the leaderboards in home runs. Will Smith is still probably one of the better hitting catchers that we've seen in a long while. Uh, not named Joe Mauer. And so, yeah, like it, this happens, right? You're, you're facing the Dodgers. They are, you know, that good for a reason. Um, and 
sometimes your ace blows up. So I don't think there's anything to panic here. The reliever core actually did enough to keep us in the game. Uh, the one weird thing here is Jorge Lopez's box score uh, because he was uh, he did end up losing the game because he you know walked in Trace Thompson as a walk off walk I guess would be the appropriate way to say it. Um, but the Twins had decided to intentionally walk uh, Freddie Freeman and Max Muncie right before that, which, in my opinion, two very reasonable decisions. To, they're two of the best hitters in the game, and Trace Thompson is not one of those, um, and they just couldn't get Thompson to chase on a high fastball count on a 3-2 count. Um, and there was some weird, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but there was some weird uh, calls in the strike zone here in this game. There's definitely some controversy there. Um, yeah, a winnable game, but I, I think the pitchers, they could have done better for sure, but, um, I, I don't know if all the blame really falls on them for this one. Yeah, there were quite a few bad calls on this road trip in general for the twins, specifically with the bases loaded. Was, was this the game where Alex Kirilov had the, uh, bases loaded two really bad strike calls? I don't remember when it was. Yes. Cause this was the one that went to extras. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so there was two missed calls, one six inches inside, one six inches outside, neither of them particularly close, both called strikes to Alex Kirilov with the bases loaded and no outs. Kind of like John was alluding to earlier. Sometimes you just get unlucky with the bases loaded. And then, uh, this game was also the one with the David Peralta double that was clearly a foul ball, um, yep. which I went on a bit of a rant about this on Twitter <clears throat> and on Twinkie Town, talking about the challenge system in general, where the whole point of the challenge system is to be able to take exact things like that that are very clearly wrong and reverse them. But because of MLB's dumb rule that they have in place, you can't challenge a call that's right in front of the umpire. And since the umpire making that call fair or foul was right in front of it, the Twins weren't able to challenge. And it just raises the question, well, then what is even the point of having the challenge system if you can't challenge something like that that's so clearly wrong, right? Under those same rules, Joe Maurer's infamous playoff not double that was clearly fair also wouldn't have been able to be challenged. And so... You know, what? what's the point of the challenge if you can't correct something like that? Now, obviously, the Twins had plenty of opportunities outside of that as well. But when you have two really game-changing moments like that where the umps are really dictating what's going on in the game, you know, it's hard to just take that and sit back with it. Yeah, it was weird because I think they said it was a judgment call, right? And that that's like the reasoning why they gave that you couldn't challenge it, which to me, it's like every call in baseball is a judgment call i mean like yeah you should be able to challenge something as clearly as like is it fair or foul like that technology is not that difficult especially when the catcher who is also standing where the umpire is was like no that's foul like yeah. what what makes Christian Vasquez's player, eyes less worse than the, the umpires? Right. Half the players weren't even like fielding because they were like, oh, that's foul. Right. And so like Christian Vasquez, you see, he's just sitting there squatting because he's pointing that it's foul. And then he's like, oh, shoot, I got to go back up the bases because apparently that's fair. And so yeah. that, that came at a big moment, too, where the Twins had just tied up the game. Um, that uh, double was the go-ahead, drove in the go-ahead run, I believe, in the eighth inning. Twins scored again in the ninth off of Evan Phillips, his first run given up in over a month. And so the Twins did lose this game, but I was still pretty encouraged by it that they fought back. I think at one point they were down pretty uh, big four or five runs and being able to fight back, get a run off of Evan Phillips, get some runs off of the rest of the bullpen. It was it was some really good stuff from the Twins despite the loss. Yeah, the only unfortunate thing was just not being able to pick on Phil Bickford. Um, he was basically the last reliever in the Dodgers' pen. He actually pitched a career-high 48 pitches, and the Twins just weren't able to get to him. Of course, part of that reason was 
and we'll talk about this ad nauseum later in this pod, but uh, in the top of the 10th, they had the bases loaded. They had an 8-7 lead, no outs, and Bigford had the game of his life striking out Donovan Solano, Alex Kirloff, like we talked about in that kind of you know, little, little dicey, uh, little, little suspect, uh, strike calls. And then, uh, and then Michael A. Taylor flew out to, to center. So, you know, it, it, it's been a story. I think it just kind of came to a head this week though, of how the twins can't capitalize on these huge run scoring opportunities. Definitely. And we did a little study on this on Twinkie town about two or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I'll be interested to see what you have later because what John Foley at Twinkie Town found was basically going back to 2019, I think it's 2018, the Twins are the worst hitting team with the bases loaded Mm. by far. Um, And which is also interesting in the context of this year where they hit pretty well with runners in scoring position. But then all of a sudden when you have runners at every base, they just lose it for some reason. But yeah, we'll talk about that more in the future. Uh, For now, let's go on to game two. Yeah, so this was the one victory in the series. It was a 6-1 victory with Bailey Ober on the mound. Six innings, six hits, one and one, one walk, and six strikeouts. Another 6-6-6 game from from Ober. Um, Just a good start from him in general. He had some good pitch separation between his high fastball and the low secondaries. That's how he wins games. Uh, The only blip in this one was that the changeups were a bit higher, but the Dodgers weren't able to take advantage, which was nice. Um, I think it's just, you know, encouraging to see this. Um, do him do well against the Dodgers, knowing how challenging our schedule is about to get. Um, and also going six innings is huge, knowing how tired the bullpen was from the previous game. So just good job for Ober in being able to uh, right the ship for the team in that second game of the series. And then the bats, um, honestly, anytime you can put up runs on Clay and Kershaw, that's pretty good. It was actually his first home loss in two years. Um, and then even though we only managed two runs on seven hits and a walk, he was out of the game by the fifth. And the game was turned over to a tired bullpen. Anytime you can get a future Hall of Famer, you know, out in four innings, I think that's a plus. Um, and then Farmer hit an insurance two-run homer in the ninth to seal the deal. And I, I just really like what Farmer's bringing to this team, um, especially now with Jose Miranda uh, down in AAA. Yeah, Farmer's been really good since coming back from the injured list. Obviously, when you have a pitch up high, getting him in the face like that, you're always a little worried about how comfortable he's going to be in the box. But, you know, there's been a few times the ball's been high and tight. You can tell he's really been a little nervous from that, but he's always come right back. He's had good at bats. And so that's been uh, really good to see. And yeah, I, I want to give another shout out to Bailey Ober really quick. It was a career high 102 pitches for Bailey Ober. Um, he came back out in the sixth. I think he was already above 90 when he came back out. But uh, after the long game yesterday, the bullpen was pretty tired. And so they really needed him to get that extra inning. And he, he was really good in that inning and was able to put the twins in a really good spot. Yeah, uh, his his velocity was pretty much about the same for the entire game, which was good to see. Of course, the big thing here, too, was that this was the first win in Dodger Stadium since 2005, uh, which is a little scary. But you know what? I think this is a season for breaking history because we also, you know, got to have the season series over the Yankees. So maybe this is the, the season that we decide to buck tradition and actually do well. Yeah, the other thing is, since they're the NL West, there wasn't as much of the interleague play until the last couple of years, and then this year especially. And so it's not like the Twins have had all that many chances in the you know almost 20 years that it's been. But still, always good to uh, get a little monkey off your back. Yep. Uh, in Game 3, it was a 7-3 loss. Sonny Gray took the bump with four innings, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, and four strikeouts. Um, his secondaries pretty much didn't do anything. Only Huggabide, six called strikes and whips on his curveball and sweeper over 31 pitches thrown. Um, 
those were kind of his bread and butter this season. So it was kind of disappointing to see those not work out. But honestly, none of his pitches did particularly well. He was also pulled a little bit early, only after 84 pitches. But it didn't seem like the team commented on it. So just have to assume it was a strategic decision, not necessarily because he was hurt. Of course, the big story here was the return of our old friend Emilio Pagan. Um, to caveat, he did come into the game uh, in a really bad situation. Um, there were two men on first and second, but there were only two outs. So he really only needed to get one out of this inning. Um, and the other thing, too, was that he wasn't pitching against like the, the meat of the Dodgers lineup. Uh, the first guy he faced was Jason Hayward. There was a questionable ball call on two of those pitches. In my opinion, Hayward should have struck out. And then he mentioned in the post-game interview that he kind of just lost it after that at-bat. He just didn't wasn't feeling his pitches, probably because he was thinking like, hey, those, those two pitches should have been strikes. Where is this um, strike zone? That being said, though, in that at-bat against Vargas, it was just, it wasn't pretty. There was one called strike and four... Uh, uh, four balls that were just clearly out of the zone uh, ended up walking in a run because of that. And then James Outman, who had been on like a one for 27 slump or something ridiculous like that came up to bat. And the trick with Outman was that the twins had been pitching to him high in the zone for pretty much the entire series. He wasn't able to do anything. And of course, Miguel Emilio Pagan then just threw him a low fastball. Outman decided to take that yard hit a grand slam, blow the game open. And um, yeah, that was that. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say a couple things about Emilio Pagan. First of all, I get it, right? He's given up so many home runs. <laughs> He's quite literally been one of the worst relievers in baseball statistically over the past couple of years. However, up until this outing, he had been solid. He had been pretty reliable. It's been in low leverage for sure, but he was okay. He wasn't bad, right? And especially if you remove that outing um, where he had to come in for the injured Maeda and they just needed him to eat some innings regardless of yeah. the outcome. He's actually been pretty good. And mm -hmm. so it's a couple of really bad outings, sandwiching really solid stuff in the middle there. Now, does Emilio Pagan deserve the benefit of the doubt? Probably not. But also, again, this is a situation where the Twins had to turn to Pagan because the bullpen was tired. They were worn out from... Uh, that long game from a couple days ago and still after having to use um, Jorge Lopez in multiple innings in that game, Yohan Duran for multiple innings in that game. Uh, it was just, it, they couldn't go to anybody besides Pagan really in that moment. Um, that's not necessarily something bad to say about Rocco or about Pagan. It's if anything, it's something about the front office that the bullpen isn't built that well, but he hasn't been that bad. And so, He's at least earned, in my opinion, the benefit of the doubt for another few outings, right? Now, if he goes out there next time and gives up three more solo home runs, yeah, okay, that, you know, it's probably time to cut bait. But, you know, for now, I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, I, I actually, I was listening to this game on the radio, and I remember being, like, incredibly pissed off. Because it was like, how hard is it to throw strikes, you know? And then afterward, I was looking at at his, um the where, where the pitches were going. I was just like... Wow, this ump like really screwed him over uh, in that Hayward at bat. Um, yeah, yeah, the ump definitely screwed him over in that at bat. I think the other thing with Pagan always is the cutter, 
every other outing, it seems like the cutter doesn't have much, if any, movement. And so it's essentially coming in there like a slower fastball. Mm-hmm. And so that that's always a big indicator for me of Pagan, where he primarily sticks with those two pitches. And so if that one's not working, he's a one-pitch pitcher at that point. And that was kind of what was happening here, where he was really struggling the, with the command. And so yeah, I mean, um, that, what, that makes it easier to, for Alvin. The cutters to Vargas just were nowhere near the zone. Yeah. So, yeah, tough for him. But I think that's maybe kind of a story for this entire week of just, man, relievers. Uh, uh, legitimately, we might only have one guy that we can trust in the pen. Um, and that's that's really tough to say, considering how much they've invested in the pen um, in the last two years in basically two players. Um, so, of course, that's, that's a discussion for a little bit later down in the pod. It um, wasn't the Emilio Pagan trade. It was the Chris Paddock trade. <laughs> Just a reminder. No, it's the Brent Rooker trade. <laughs> ah, yes, of course, of course. Um, of course, in a 7-3 victory, the Twins did manage to score three runs. Buxton and Gallo both had solo homers. Uh, I think the tough thing here was that they couldn't capitalize on Dustin May leaving in the first with an injury. You never love to see it, but it does mean then that you get to face relievers. Um, and, of course, the Dodgers pen, just like the, the Twins pen, was pretty tired. Even more tired. Um, even more tired, yeah, because Kershaw only pitched for four innings in, in yeah. game two. Um, but, yeah, they missed out on another bases loaded, no out situation at the top of the sixth. Um, we'll talk about some stats there later on. But, yeah, it's just um, it's tough to see that, like, in this sort of situation that they just couldn't do anything after Pagan gave up that that grand slam. Yeah, especially I think it was Phil Bickford that was going again. You know, you got to see a lot of his pitches last time out. He really hasn't been that good in his career up to that point. So that's a situation where you really want to take advantage of it. And the Twins just, again, weren't able to come through. The Dodgers are one of the best teams in baseball, right? It's no surprise, even after losing all the star power that they have in the past couple of years with you know Manny Machado's on the team for a bit, Matt Scherzer. Uh, the big one, of course, being Trey Turner this last year. This was this year was kind of supposed to be a step back for them, and they're just right back up there at the top of the NL West. They just keep on winning. Yeah. Well, uh, the Twins moved over just a couple miles to go play the Angels in the next series, uh, starting up game one with a 5-4 loss. Uh, Joe Ryan with six innings, seven hits, two earned runs, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Ironically, this was actually a start where his secondaries were actually really good. The fastball just wasn't as stellar, but he still managed nine strikeouts. Um, two earned runs is, is pretty solid. Uh, nothing really to talk about here other than Joe Ryan is still a really solid pitcher. Yeah, I saw a graphic from MLB.com, I believe, ranking there five uh, AL Cy Young candidates yeah. so far this year. They had Sonny Gray three and Joe Ryan five. What yeah. a world to live in as a I Twins know. fan. Yeah, I might flip those, but, you know, yeah, Joe Ryan for sure. Yeah, Joe Ryan for sure is uh, is looking real good. Um, the relievers were unfortunately the story here. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but Griffin Jacks with another poor outing. Just a little unlucky. I was looking at the pitches that were, uh, were taken for hits. They were pretty much all out of the zone. Like the Hunter Renfro pitch, the, the one that Hunter Renfro took uh, for a single was insane. It was like at least six inches off the plate. And Renfro just stretched out and just hit it with the knob of his bat and just somehow managed to get it into the outfield. And yeah, it it's kind of surprising. I was looking this up how much of a reverse splits pitcher he is, despite the fact that he throws, he throws 75% sliders. Like as a righty who 
relies on his slider so much. You'd expect him to be really good against righties, but he's got a 354 average when he faces right-handed hitters, a 182 average when facing lefties. Obviously, he's facing a lot more righties and lefties, but still, that's like that's that's a dramatic difference in how much righties are kind of teeing off on him. Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of Griffin Jack spots. I'm going to save him for later. Yeah. Uh, well, with the bats, uh, the story here was that Reed Detmers uh, had a no-hitter uh, for five innings. Um, then he kind of fell apart in the sixth, and so the Twins managed to come back. Uh, Willie Castro had the go-ahead homer in the seventh, but then Griffin Jacks came in um, and gave up a couple runs. I think interesting thing here was that Correa had three walks. Um, I know we've talked a lot about how he has been having a lot of impact with the bat, um, but at least getting him on base is also a good thing. Um, he's not necessarily, you know, a super fast guy or anything like that, but just having someone his his caliber and kind of the, maybe the cerebral way that he approaches the game of baseball, he's just a better base runner, um, too. So, uh, it's encouraging at least to see him get on base. Definitely. It's something, right? I believe between this game and the next game, he walked in five straight at bats, which is, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it means anything. It's just kind of interesting. Uh, maybe a little bit of a different approach for Correa, but, uh, Reed Detmers was so good through five innings and so yeah. uh i don't remember the exact number but it was like a crazy amount of whiffs by the twins in those five innings leading up to that then as going into the six the uh broadcast put up a graphic saying reed detmers gives up a 454 batting average the third time through the order and i'm like <laughs> uh just like the twins the, he, he's gonna keep on mowing them through it's not gonna be a big deal but no they right. did manage to get the hits so uh maybe analytics actually know something every once in a while yeah uh because this was, this was a west coast game and it was also a late game um, I, I didn't watch the entire game, but I, I had a, fr- a friend who's a big angels fan. And we were talking, uh, when, when Detmers got pulled, he was like, well, it looks like the, the angels are going to lose this one. And I was like, oh boy, you have not seen the, uh, the, the twins pen yet. And <laughs> I guess I'm, I, I apologize in advance if I manifested that Griffin Jack's performance, but, um, yeah, it was one of those things where we both try to outdo each other and, uh, how crappy or how unclutch our teams are. And um, yeah. Twins Here, here's a good day. theoretical for neutral fans. Would you rather be the angels who have, you know, maybe the two best players in baseball and can't seem to get to the playoffs yeah. or the twins who have pretty consistently gotten to the playoffs, but haven't won a game in 18 years, you know, right. or whatever it is. Exactly. So it's, it's a good theoretical uh, to ask someone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Game two was a 6-2 victory. Louis Varlin was on the mound with five innings, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. Uh, yeah, really solid day from Varlin, despite only one whiff on his secondaries. The fastball was a touch slower, but honestly still effective. Uh, pretty much what you want for Varlin every start. Uh, I'll take five innings with only two earned runs every single day. With the bats, uh, again, 6-2 victory, so they did something pretty effective. It was actually contributions from a bunch of different players. Like I mentioned, Correa had a good day with um, one for two with three walks. Um, you know, maybe just deep, you know sh- uh, making the strike zone a little bit smaller and not, not going as, as nuts um, as his helping out. Uh, but yeah, Farmer, Garlic, Larnick, and Castro all had, an, had a run batted in. Gallo had a solo homer, um, and Buxton... We'll talk about this a little later, but he did have two walks um, before leaving the game. So maybe this team is learning that not swinging at everything is um, also a good strategy for um, succeeding on offense. 
Yeah, I've been really impressed with obviously Byron Buxton. He's one of the best players in baseball, but you know the last couple of weeks where he's not been making as much contact as he's, he's wanted, he's mm-hmm. made a really concerted effort to be a little more patient, take a few more walks. And you know he's still going to have those zero for four with three strikeout types of games. But I think this is a big growth for him. Where you know three years ago. Um, he was injured, but I think he took like three walks the whole season or something like that. And so the fact that he took two in a game really speaks to his growth as a player and, you know, his really more advanced approach as he's gotten more and more comfortable as a major league hitter. Yeah. Well, finally, game three was a 4-2 loss. Pablo Lopez with six innings, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, and nine strikeouts. Curveball and sweeper were pretty nice today. Nine total whips on both those pitches. The fastball had a 32% called strike and whiff rate. Um, just a good day for him. Maybe the one blip was in the fourth uh, where uh, there was a couple of men on the bases, but the defense helped out uh, on a sack fly double play. Don't see those every day, but uh, you know, they, they were backing up Pablo, which is good. Um, yeah. No real complaints for me. It's hard to complain about nights, nine strikeouts. You could maybe argue that one of those earned runs uh, wasn't completely his fault, but uh, when it's a pitcher's duel between Pablo Lopez and Shohei Otani, um, they pretty much matched up with each other, so um, good day for them. With the bats, of course, you just they couldn't do much against Otani. He only allowed five men on base over his six innings. Uh, Correa was the lone man to get a run off Otani. He doubled in one in the third, I believe, and then Kirilov hit a solo homer in the seventh off a reliever. And, of course, they had another bases loaded opportunity in the seventh with one out. Jeffers and Gallo both proceeded to strike out. Although the Angels did bring in Chris Devensky to face Gallo specifically to get the matchup they wanted, but still, um, yeah, not not a not a great outing for the for the offense today. Yeah, the the Jeffers at bat in particular was pretty frustrating. Where what Jeffers did right, so he this called strike three that he had was a bad call. It was three inches inside. wasn't particularly close, very similar to the Kirilov call earlier in the week. So that's frustrating. But um, on the flip side, the first pitch of the at-bat is a slider in the dirt and Jeffers is swinging away. Right. And so that kind of goes back to my thoughts about, you know, the approach with the bases loaded just isn't there. It's non-existent. What are you possibly looking for? Bases loaded, one out that has you chasing a slider that ends up in the dirt. And so, you know, obviously Ryan Jeffers isn't the best hitter in the world, but he's a major league hitter. And so you'd think he would have a better plan than that. And it just didn't really seem like he did. The Gallo one, Gallo strikes out, it happens. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there is a little merit to the whole Joe Maurer strategy of, you know, not swinging at the first pitch. I mean, sometimes it just means that the, you'll you'll miss a fastball down the middle but um sometimes if you're just a little more patient at the plate um it can work out yeah the pitcher they were going against reyes maranta it was his first major league appearance of the year uh he, he had been in triple a before this his contract was just selected and so you know he's not somebody where it's like oh i gotta get up there and get swinging right he's kind of on the fringes of the roster and so take a couple pitches be a little more patient i just think you'll put yourself in a much better position and of course then on the pitching side uh, Pablo Lopez weirdly came out to pitch to one guy in the seventh. He walked him and then Jorge Lopez came in after him and promptly gave up two doubles and a couple of runs. So that, that wasn't great. 
Jorge Lopez has given up a few more runs the last few outings, but overall, I still think he's acquitted himself well, and he's he's very clearly number two in the depth part, in the depth chart in the bullpen. And um, you know, even with the doubles, I'm not super worried about him either. Where he still had the good control for the most part, he's had the good stuff. It's just you know when that sinker gets up in the zone, he runs into problems. Today, that's exactly what was happening. Yeah, Mickey Moniak had himself a series. Oh um, boy, did he! Yeah. The, former first round pick. So, you know, good for him, obviously, but uh, yeah, it's been, it was, it was a weird series. It was a weird week overall, I think for the twins. Um, like uh, it was kind of summed up by like pretty solid pitching for the most part, other than that, that Pablo uh, blow up in game one, but ultimately the bats just weren't there and the relievers just weren't on point. Yeah, definitely. I want to give one more shout out to Mickey Moniak as well for almost making the play of the year on Alex Kirilov's home run. Yeah. Uh, where it like it was in his glove and like as he was like pulling it back up, it popped out of the glove. And so it, yeah, he almost took that away. And in the moment it would have been a big deal. It ended up not really mattering because the uh Angels got a run back in the bottom of the inning anyway. But he yeah. almost made just an incredible defensive play to steal a uh, home run from Alex Kirilov. Yeah, the frustration on his face when he like realized the ball wasn't in his glove was kind of hilarious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we will get back to talk about uh, some more general thoughts for the week. Okay, and we're back. So first point here, bases loaded, no outs, bases loaded, one out. The Twins have been either bad or unlucky, depending on how you look at it. John, I know you have thoughts. This one's all you. All right. So I will admit, I'm just kind of reading off stats here and i know stats don't tell the whole story there's definitely more advanced metrics and advanced analytics that you need to look at for example the aforementioned article on twinkie town from john foley where he looked at kind of data dating back a couple years and the, the twins basically just having poor swings i'm just looking at 2023 data that being said let's get let's get uh some some things out of the way with the bases loaded with no outs or one out Minnesota is third worst in average, so they aren't hitting at all in those situations. They are walking 14.8% of the time in those situations. Now there's only 27 of those situations, so it's not like it's like, oh, they're walking a lot. But, you know, they are at least there was there's been a couple games where they've been able to get mistakes. Strikeout wise, um, they're. 12th in the majors so they're not like striking out a ton in these situations uh the worst team that has similar volume to us is like the white Sox. they have had 22 plate appearances where they've had the bases loaded with no outs and one out 59 percent strikeout rate tampa bay who has the best offense in the majors 23 situations like this they're striking out 43 percent of the time uh minnesota only 30 percent of the time so you know take that how you will in terms of ops of course when your average is that low, your OPS is also super low. So, uh, yeah, they only have a 333 OPS. So there's some situations here where are they bad? Yes. Are they worse than, like, the juggernauts of the league that we expect? I hesitate to say that they are. Like, they're right now 20th in the league in terms of RBI in those situations. Okay? So... It, that's not the worst in the league. The worst in the league is Detroit with zero. You never want to be in that company. But San Diego has had 15 plate appearances in these situations. They've only batted in eight runs. Houston has also only batted in 14 runs in 19 situations. So 
is it bad met is it bad optics when the twins do this like a lot yes there are some times though when they are capitalizing i can think of you know for example like the uh the johnny burrito game uh where we you know batted around obviously there was a couple games uh that the I think the cubs game last week where we had seven runs in, in two innings um those obviously skew the results, right? Like we do see a lot of these situations where they are um, capitalizing, but it's in games where we've kind of already beat up on the team. So there's no reason to um, really care about those stats anymore. The worrying thing still for me is probably that the average is so low. Um, That is something that needs to go up. And if we look at league average right now, it's about 250. So if they just had double the hits, essentially, in this situation, they'd be at league average. Um, and maybe that brings in one or two more runs in these situations. Maybe that gets us wins. Uh, maybe it doesn't make these situations look so bad. I just think that a lot of times we are maybe freaking out a little too much. But at the same time, I think it's because we have these situations where we're doing really well and we forget about those games. And then we have like the three situations this week where it was the game is against the Dodgers and then the the two, I think the two opportunities against the the Angels and nothing happened. And it's like, oh, wow, out of, out of six games, they had three of these situations and they didn't capitalize. And that's true. Like that, that doesn't look good. And there's clearly an issue there. But then we have games like the Cubs game and, and the Yankees game where we do have those situations. We capitalize, but we don't really think about it. So is it? I, I really believe in the in the fact that like clutchness is not a thing in baseball. Like I hate to boil it down to like pure physics, but sometimes that's that's kind of what baseball is. It's there's wind, there's uh, all these different situations that could be in play here. Um, and sometimes like you're just unlucky and you will regress to the mean. And so maybe we can expect that for the twins. Like they're not going to be batting 111 for the rest of the season in these situations. They're probably going to get closer to like 250, you know, maybe 220 if they're like truly kind of atrocious in these situations. But it is May, like it is something to be maybe a little worried about. But there's, I don't believe that this is going to be a trend for the rest of the season. I tend to agree with you, and I think you brought up a lot of really good points there. Um, the main one being, like you said, it's all of, you know, what, 40, 45 plate appearances, something like that so far. 29, so, yeah. 29, there you go, right? And then um, I'm sitting here, like, entire with the bases loaded, including the two-out situations, um, it's a little bit higher. But um, it's going to go up. It has to go up. You just can't be that bad. You can't be that unlucky. And... Um, you know, kind of one other way to look at it um, of how the twins go about things is looking at, you know, your uh, swing rate, your called uh, strike plus whiff rate on pitches uh, in these situations. And the twins um, called strike and whiff rate when the bases are loaded compared to where they're not loaded, it's almost identical, right? And so it's not mm-hmm. like the bases get loaded and they suddenly lose their approach. Um, as I mentioned before, I think they're a top 10 team in hitting with runners in scoring position. It's just this specific situation with runner, runners in scoring position where they've really struggled. And so it's going to get better because we've already seen it be better than that in this season. However, um, the article that I mentioned before, so the numbers that John Foley found mm-hmm. uh, going back to 2019. So he used uh, weighted on base average, WOBA, as the main uh, point to judge the value right which 
uh, basically base is loaded. Uh, you want to get on base because if you get on base, that means a run came in yeah. in almost every situation, right? And so Woba takes that and then obviously you get a little more value with it because it's weighted. And so a double is worth more than a walk or a single. Uh, home run is worth more than a double, right? And so it's weighted in that way. So re- I, I think a really good way to evaluate when the bases are loaded. So this year, the Twins have a 142 Woba uh, with the bases loaded, which is last in the league. Last yeah. year, it was 285, 22nd. The year before that, 246, 29th. Uh, the year before that was 375, which was 7th in the league, but that was the COVID-shortened year, so all stats are kind of meaningless. Um, and then the year before that, 2019 Bomba Squad, it was 233, which was 29th. And so even the team that had the most home runs in the history of MLB in the season was 29th in Woba with the bases loaded. And so... That says to me that maybe it's not just luck. Maybe there really is something there with the approach. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I'm not a hitting coach. There are people much smarter than me uh, about baseball that have worked with the Twins to figure out what's going on. But it is concerning. I also think, though, it's more concerning now because of the Twins' offensive struggles. Right? If they were still scoring outside of these situations, it would be fine. But it's cost the Twins already this season You know, four or five games where if yep. they were able to execute in those situations – Oh, well, now suddenly the Twins are at 30 wins, you know, and mm-hmm. that, that's a much stronger position to be in. You have a 10 game lead on the division then. And so it, it's definitely frustrating, but I've got to imagine at some point it's going to regress to the mean, like you said. Yeah. And maybe some other surprising stats. Just, I mean, not that these are meaningless, but they don't really give too much color. Like with the bases loaded, we've only had singles. We haven't had a single extra base hit with the bases loaded. Um, we've basically been exactly I, I don't know if i'm looking at fangrass right now so i don't know if they have today's stats in there but um we've had 50 plate appearances in bases loaded situations um and you know when you look at that then it, it looks a lot worse but obviously there's like these two out situations stuff like that um we've had five sack flies in these situations so that's how we're getting a lot of these runs in that's fourth in the majors right now it's just one of those frustrating things where like you mentioned, the the uh, the Ryan Jeffers approach at the plate, where he swings at a first pitch slider in the dirt. Like, uh, again, I've never had to face major league pitching, so a slider coming out of the hand, based on how I've done it in MLB The Show, looks exactly like <laughs> a fastball. So I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily like blaming Jeffers for just like, hey, like, man, that 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 was garbage. But he is a professional baseball player who has seen many more sliders and fastballs in his lifetime than I've ever had pitched in his general direction, especially he's caught even a lot as a, of them too. And he's caught a lot of them. Right. So you'd think that he'd have at least a, a little bit of an inkling that like, Oh, this maybe I shouldn't like immediately think about swing as soon as the ball leaves, uh, leaves the pitcher's hand. Um, there is definitely some mental strategic sort of thing going on here that I think the twins need to fix. But when it just, when you just boil it down to like, hard numbers and again numbers don't tell the whole story they aren't absolute hot garbage they're close but they're not complete hot garbage yet yeah you know it, it's always good to put it in perspective too like i like what you said about the padres where the padres are struggling in similar situations and they have fernando tatis and juan soto and mandy machado um and and uh xander bogarts now too and so if those guys are struggling they're probably going to come around. I'm sure the twins are going to come around as well. 
Right. I mean, it is it is a pretty recognizable group of names at the bottom of this basis loaded leaderboard. It's like us, Miami, Detroit, Cleveland, Oakland, uh, Padres, uh, St. Louis, like. And then you have Toronto, who we're facing, who's also not very good in these situations. Um, but then at the top of the leaderboard, the teams that are like really good in terms of average: Tampa Bay, Texas, Seattle, Philly. You know these guys, these high powered offenses that um, just seem to get hits at the right time. So, yeah i I think this will be something to revisit in a month. If at by the end of June they're still struggling this much, then I think you have to start asking what is going on with the coaching and why isn't something being fixed here? Definitely. One reason they might not rank at the bottom at the end of June is because Royce Lewis is on his way to save the Minnesota twins. He is the savior. Um, just like Alex Kirilov before him, who will fix all of our problems. Yes, and so, just, just don't play him in center. <laughs> exactly. So uh, let's get into the injury updates. Because like we mentioned before, there was a lot of injuries happening towards the end of this week. Kind of just fluke things, it seemed like. Um, so let, let's kind of start with level of importance is how I've ranked these. And so let's start with Jorge Polanco, who's currently mm-hmm. on the injured list uh, with a hamstring strain. Uh, for him... It doesn't seem like it's anything long-term, hopefully, but the fact that they put him on the injured list right away, there wasn't kind of the wait-and-see period like the Twins like to do is maybe a little bit more concerning. And it just kind of continues a concerning trend for him of these leg injuries that he's had, these lower body injuries that are really adding up. Now, obviously, he still looked really good when he's been playing, uh, but I think that's been a little bit lucky. He's had a really high BABIP, uh, and so you know, hopefully everything turns out uh, okay with Jorge Polanco because the best version of the twins has him right smack dab in the middle of it. Yeah, I Polanco to me has really shown how important he is to this team in the in the month, I guess, that he's been um with us. Just his his versatility as a switch hitter, I think, um is maybe is underrated in my opinion. Um just because of how much this team uh, how much Rocco likes to platoon this team, but because of Polanco's ability to hit from both sides of the plate, he's kind of in like every single day, and and Rocco loves switching up his lineup. Right, I, I think there was like a stat last year where he didn't have a single lineup that he repeated, or maybe he only repeated like five lineups total. Um, Polanco gives him someone that he can rely on day in and doubt, uh, regardless of who's pitching, um, because he knows that Polanco can can hit from both sides of the plate. Um, so yeah, not having him is, is kind of a big deal. Ed Julian coming up is, is nice. I mean, he had like a, a decent uh, major league debut. He did taper off a little bit at the end and that's why they sent him back down to triple a, uh, but it'll be see, it'll be interesting to see how he does in his second go around. Yeah. I think the biggest concern for him is that, you know, the Rocco and probably the twins as a whole clearly don't trust him in the field. Um, I think today's game mm-hmm. was a really good example of that. They started him at DH. Obviously, Buxton's out, so you have a chance to maybe right. DH one of your regulars who needs a little bit of a half day off, give Correa a day off, something like that. But they went with Julian. They put Solano at second, Donovan Solano, who is not exactly a bastion of defense at this point in his career. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to be the biggest concern for him. If the Twins want to have the best version of their offense with Polanco out, Julian's going to have to be in that in there and he's going to have to be playing in the field. And so um, I I think that's the bigger thing. You know, we talked about a lot with Jose Miranda where the offensive struggles are one thing, but if you're also not fielding well and you're causing your team um, to, 
lose runs along with the offensive struggles, then that's where you kind of lose patience for a player. And so Julian, he's at second base for a reason. He's not a great defender, but hopefully um, he can at least hold it down until Polanco gets back. Uh, But the other concern is Byron Buxton, who right now is day-to-day with knee soreness. Um, They haven't really said anything about severity. They were kind of waiting to take a look at it. But unlike Polanco, they didn't immediately put him on the injured list. Uh, In my opinion, I think they should put him on the injured list either way. Um, Whether it's severe or not, even if it's not that severe, I think he could use 10 days off. Um, He's been playing pretty much every day since he's been back uh, at the DH to start the year. Uh, and we, we've seen it these last couple of weeks where they've been getting really aggressive with the base running. They've been having him steal more. The injury came basically because he was trying to take an extra base. Um, and so just give him 10 days off. The offense is bad. And so why not make it a little bit worse for 10 days in hopes that he's not going to re-aggravate it or have a situation like he did last year. Um, I think a couple weeks ago on the pod, I also said I hate when Byron Buxton singles or walks because I don't like him on the base base paths. <laughs> I want him to either get out, preferably strike out so he doesn't have to run to first, um, or hit a home run so that he can just quietly jog around the bases. But this is exactly what the concern is with Byron Buxton, where he's so good when he's out there, and he doesn't have like a gear down switch in him. That's why the Twins have had to put him at DH, because he won't stop diving for balls. He won't stop running into the wall. And so the Twins said, we're not going to let you anymore. And you know now he's hurting himself on the base paths. I think this also probably spells bad news for any hope of Byron Buxton playing the field at all this year. I, I wouldn't bet on it unless it's an absolute emergency situation. Yeah, I think that's the first time anyone's advocated for a two outcomes better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's, I mean, part of it is his athleticism is so tantalizing that it's just like, man, imagine a healthy Byron. And, like, we've gotten a healthy Byron, but we all know, like, there's, we all know that he's in pain, like, that he's dealing with stuff. Like, the, the fact that he's finally you know, out of the lineup today because of an injury probably is like, he, it's because it really hurts. Um, and yeah, he's tough. Nobody's questioning Byron's tough. For it's sure. I mean, I, I remember there's kind of just new stories last year of how like his warm-up routine like starts like four hours before the game starts. Like, he's out there yeah. stretching, uh, you know, just taking, um, taking pitches in the batting cages. Um, he has his whole routine of getting, so just so he can come up to bat four times um in a game and you know maybe field a couple balls and now he's not fielding balls in in the outfield and man it it sucks to see i mean uh, i know that the twins are trying to squeeze the most that they can out of him without injuring him too much but i'm kind of with you on like just give him 10 days rest you know they've they don't have a lot of depth which is unfortunate but the nice thing is that michael taylor seems to be still holding out center decently enough, even though the batting has been a little bit more suspect in, in, in recent memory. But um, yeah, I, I would say at least give him a couple days rest, you know, um, take advantage of off days and things like yeah. that and, and give him five days off or something. And, if you don't want to send him directly to the, to the aisle. Yeah. That's, that's why I would just send him to the injured list though, because Maybe he would be back in five days, but I think for his sake, just don't give him the option, right? Of just saying, mm-hmm. we, need, we need you to take these days off because we want you back and we want you healthy. And we know with Byron that once we get this far into the season, there's not really fully healthy Byron Buxton pretty much from here on out. Mm-hmm. And so 
let's just make sure he's not going to re-aggravate it, give plenty of time off. And like I said, he's not going to be playing in the field anyway. And so, you know, they really need his bat. There's no doubt about that with how much the offense has been struggling. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about 10 days now or two months later, it's 10 days now every time, right? And so – For sure. um, Yeah, I would just exercise caution. It's kind of my whole complaint with Byron where, listen, man, we love you. We love how athletic you are. We love how hard you go. But this is a random game versus the Angels in May. Mm-hmm. Take it back a bit, you know? And so yeah. that's why I think putting him on the injured list right now, it forces him to take it back, not push it, not try to get back too fast. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Twins did with Royce Lewis uh, by putting him on the six or day injured list where you're like, hey, we know you're ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure when you come back, you're 100% ready to go. He cannot come back until June. Right. Same thing with Byron, just on a lesser scale. Yeah, and the positive thing, honestly, is that through 47 games, he's played 42. Right. Like if you had told me, if you told me by the end of May that Byron would have been out, held out of five games and only one of them was for an injury reason, like sign me up for that. Right. Definitely. But if he misses, let's just say eight of the next games because of a stint on the 10 day IL, it's not going to prevent him from like we talked, like he mentioned in our first episode from getting to 130 games. Right. If that's the goal, right. If the goal is to play 130 games, like let's just rest him now instead of like you mentioned losing potentially losing a month to like a more severe knee injury in the future definitely uh also on the outfield front uh next on the list here is nick gordon who went to the injured list uh with one of frankly the most painful looking injuries i've seen in a while where he fouled a ball just directly onto his shin somehow stayed finished the at bat um, swung through strike three and just crumpled in pain. Like he was very clearly in a lot of pain. And of course, then it comes out after the game that it is the fractured shin, mm-hmm. uh, the fractured shin. And man, shout out to Nick Gordon for powering through that uh, because that's just crazy. Um, the bigger deal, I think, with this injury is not necessarily his offense because the offense has been basically non-existent, though he has been a little bit better in recent weeks. It's more of the defensive side where the twins are down to Michael A. Taylor. And then I guess Willie Castro after that for options in center field. And uh, you know, the, the twins or some of the beat reporters have reported that Michael A. Taylor has been a little banged up recently, which is why we had been seeing more Nick Gordon uh, and why I imagine we're going to see a lot of Willie Castro here out there going forward. And so, you know, after those two, if one of those two goes down, you're looking at, Gallo out there in center. Maybe you call up, uh, you have to add Mark Contreras to the roster and bring mm-hmm. him up. And so you're really in a tough position now if uh, Willie Castro or Michael A. Taylor misses time. And related to that now, whenever Royce Lewis does come back, there's no way Willie Castro is getting optioned. Right. He's he's maybe a little too valuable at this point. But it's, it's also weird here too because the timing of Nick Gordon getting hurt coincides with Polanco getting hurt. And both those guys, I mean, obviously, Polanco was the everyday second baseman, but Nick Gordon was a serviceable second baseman. Yeah. Like, you don't love him out there, but he's not going to be giving up as many runs as, let's say, Julian could be. Um, I I think, honestly, and we've seen this before, and it's he's coming, and we're about to talk about this, but Kepler, when he comes back, could also be a backup in center. Um, they've had him in center before. He's one of the best defensive um corner outfielders and he's a pretty decent defensive center outfielder as well so that's another option i think that they have um but 
we'll we'll see what they do because yeah, Michael Taylor is kind of deal with a back soreness. Um, if you remember in the Yankees series, he was held out of a one game there. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be tough to see what they do because we are getting to that point of the season where yeah, these injuries are starting to pile up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when he went on the injury list, Kyle Garlick came up. Uh, mostly, I think he came up because the Twins had the two left-handers they were playing in the Angels. I think uh, they're going to be facing another one uh, against San Francisco. And so, um, you know, getting that right-handed bat up is a, is a good move for now. I would imagine once we get through kind of this lefty stretch that we're in, uh, it might be Matt Walner instead to come up and get some more regular at-bats, uh, see if he's figured anything out. But, um, yeah, the – Kind of the one other thing I want to say with this is related to the center field depth chart, which is there's no way Royce Lewis is going to be playing any outfield, definitely not center field after Mm -hmm. the injury. I'm not saying he's not ever going to play it in his entire career, but unless he has an entire offseason to plan, I'm going to be the starting center fielder for the Minnesota Twins. I don't think there's any way he plays out there. Um, And so I've seen some fans be like, oh, perfect. Royce is going to be back soon. He's shortstop, third baseman. I think that's pretty much the only places we see Royce Lewis this year. Yeah, and then not that we really want to see him in this role right now, but Hilbert Salasino is also on the 60 DIL, so he's not coming back. Uh, he's not available to come back until June 1st, and I don't think there's been any news on his um, injury uh, recovery. He's had a ruptured thumb ligament, but also the Twins are playing him to stay in AAA just to get seasoned and um, be able to play the center field spot a little bit more frequently at a maybe not as high of a level. Because as you all remember, he was called up directly from Double A to play center, and um, it didn't look great, so, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, um, so he's not an option as as a depth option. So yeah, you're kind of down to the guys you mentioned, Mark Contreras, um, Ryan Lamar's technically out there, but <laughs> I, I I hesitate to have him. Uh, Austin Martin, I don't know if he's injured he is he has he's uh, still injured right yeah it's yeah. the ucl injury they're rehabbing right That's now right. trying to get him to avoid tommy johns yeah um he is probably going to end up at center field for his future or just as a you know utility man he talked about that in the preseason about wanting to be more of a utility guy but assuming he heals which ucl injuries are never fun especially you know bryce harper is kind of the the next best uh comparison for outfielders with ucl injuries um, he's not really an option to be coming up. So yeah, it, it really gets thin um, yeah. with losing Nick Gordon. Yeah, I think I think there's a small chance we could have seen Austin Martin up here at some point this year before the injury, now with the injury, you know, and his struggles last year. I don't really think there's much of a shot. I think he needs to be added to the 40 man after this year uh, to yep. protect him from the rule five. Mm-hmm. And that'll be an interesting just kind of test to see what the twins think about him, where he was kind of the centerpiece of that Jose Barrios trade when it was yep. made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do they maybe view him as a sunk cost? Do they still think there's value there? It'll be kind of interesting to see uh, the decision the Twins make this offseason. Yeah, I, I I don't want to talk too much about Martin, but I think his bat looked kind of decent in preseason in spring training. Um, but, you know, it is, it's still spring training. I mean, if, if we win everything by spring training, Jose Miranda would be mashing right now. So, oh, yeah, good times. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Martin is like very much even off the radar in terms of what the Twins are thinking about how to deal with their um, outfield depth right now. Definitely. Uh, the next move here uh, down our litany of injuries, Jorge Alcala 
who has not been very good anyway, but he was placed on the injured list with a radial injury. It seems like a stress fracture from how they described it, but uh, the Twins were being kind of weirdly confused about it. It didn't seem that confusing, but the reports they were given seemed like it was a weird injury for them. But basically, it's a stress fracture kind of in the forearm, unrelated to the elbow injury that kept him out last year, Uh, but it's something chronic, and so... You know, stress fractures, sometimes they're minimal, sometimes it takes a little while longer. For someone like a pitcher, I would imagine that's going to keep him out for a big chunk of time here. Another one where, unfortunately, wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again this year. Yeah, I, I'm i kind of going back to our preseason episode where we were talking about what are our areas of concern. And with a healthy bullpen, we still... Yeah. labeled it as our biggest concern for this entire team and currently on roster resource which you know isn't gospel but at the same time it's a pretty good indication of you know what the team uh, how the team is ordering their pitchers brock stewart is the second set of men behind jorge lopez <laughs> and as good as brock stewart's been that is not the guy i was wanting in that role I had not heard about Brock Stewart until about a week before he was called up um, where it seemed like on Twitter, everyone was like, Oh, Brock Stewart, Brock Stewart. I'm like, who the hell is Brock Stewart? And so, you know, I looked at him like, Oh, those are some pretty interesting minor league numbers. Apparently they signed him last year. Anyway, whatever, not the guy that you want. Obviously we haven't really gotten any updates on Caleb Thielbar. He's the other guy where once Mm -hmm. we get him back, that'll kind of structure everything a little bit better in the bullpen. And then after that, you know, for short options, uh, I didn't. I don't have this one in the notes, but Ronnie Henriquez was activated mm-hmm. recently from the injured list. He's at AAA, pitching pretty well. Um, and then the other one that I think is interesting is uh, Jordan Belazovic. Is that how you say his last name? I've never yeah. known how to say his last name. Yeah, Belazovic or something like Belazovic, that. Yeah. Belazovic, however you say it, Jordan. Uh, he's been pitching really well at AAA. He started out of the bullpen. He's moved back into the starting rotation. Uh, but he was one where... You know, I, I was kind of wondering if the Twins were going to go the Griffin Jacks route with him and mm-hmm. convert him a little bit more to short relief with the very pressing and immediate needs that the Twins have there. Uh, but they've said, no, that's not the plan. He's going to be kind of more of a starter, but a short starter where he's going to go three, four, occasionally five innings um, and work into that same mix with Cole Sands and now Jose De Leon and uh, Brent Hedrick for long relief out of the bullpen, which... Yeah is fine but mm-hmm. i feel like we have so many of those options already slash you can just sign some run-of-the-mill street free agent to do that right. why not try to convert at least one of these guys into the short arm that you really need yeah i know the only other name that's like kind of interesting is cody funderbunk or funderburk sorry never heard of him <laughs> yeah i think the only reason why he's interesting is that he's like a decent lefty out of the pen in triple a right now so yeah. that, listen yeah i follow the twins so closely i think about the twins so often like sometimes just randomly i'll bring up something twins related to my wife she doesn't really follow the twins she has no idea what i'm talking about yeah and i've never heard of that guy and so that's kind of the state of the bullpen right now it it, yeah it ain't pretty he was a 15 round traffic at 2018 so that that'll tell you enough about how much he's on anyone's radar there you go. One last uh, pitching note here before we move on. Uh, Kenta Maeda is expected to start throwing this week, which is a really good sign. Uh, when he comes back, the Twins will have a decision to make, uh, which is do we just make the easy move of Kenta in, Louis Varland option back down, or um, 
does one of them, most likely Maeda, get moved to the bullpen, right? Kenta Maeda is someone who's pitched out of the bullpen before. He's on the last year of his contract. Um, he has a lot of contract incentives to be a starting pitcher. But if he's not good, the contract incentives don't matter anyway. And so yeah. um, is Maeda someone that maybe you can convert to one or two inning guy and see if he does a little bit better in that role, just having to face guys once instead of two or three times? Yeah, it it sucks for Maeda. I mean, I know he's he's put a lot of effort to to remain a starter. Um, and it was one of the reasons why he wanted to leave the Dodgers because he knew right. he would have a chance to start with us. But it is kind of getting to the point where I think Varland is too good to send down. Yeah. And Maeda is just a little bit too much of a question mark right now. And we, we know the stuff is there. We know he can he can kill it if he only has to pitch one or two innings. Yeah. Varland is, I, I think at this point, he's been better than Kenta Maeda. Obviously, Maeda hasn't had all that many chances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would have liked to see him stay healthy and see if he could work a little bit back into that shape. But, you know, the state of the Twins right now, I don't know if they can afford to give Kenta Maeda four or five more starts to see if he can get back into shape. And Louis Varland, you know, while he's young, he's still a little bit more unproven. He's also a long term rotation piece where yep. he's not just a starter this year he's going to be a starter in the rotation for the next five years if everything goes well mm-hmm. and so kenta maeda where he's what i think 34 he's in the last or 35 he's in the last year of his contract yeah the easier move would just be to move him to the pin have a hard conversation with him and say you know we love you but this is what's best for the team yeah the only other weird thing they could maybe do is try to go to a six-man rotation or try to go to that thing that they talked about where it was they they have a five-man rotation but every fifth start you know, a pitcher skips his start. Um, I think we're starting to see a little bit of wear and tear in some of these guys. I mean, Sonny Gray's had, you know, two not super stellar outings. I'm not saying that's a solution to anything. Getting more rest does yeah. not necessarily equal better performance. But if they are insistent about getting Maeda into the rotation, I don't think it makes sense to send up Varlet, and that's maybe the one way that they do it. The other thing with that is even if there is, there's always the occasions where, oh, we got to skip this guy or, oh, we just need to build an extra day of rest here. Mm-hmm. They already have Hedrick, Sands, uh, Simeon Woods, Richardson, right? You don't need to make that an official part of the rotation. Totally. There's any yep. of those guys that you can call up to fill in in a spot start. Plus, um, with how the Twins manage their bullpen, I don't think they want to be an arm down. Oh, completely. Yeah, I think adding Maeda's arm to the bullpen, like I think he slots in immediately as a solid setup guy. You know, maybe he's not the the guy you send in the eighth, but he's a guy that you can definitely rely on in the seventh. Um, you know, you give him you give him the Griffin Jacks Brock Stewart plan, which is we're going to start you fifth, sixth inning, right? If you're looking good, you're feeling comfortable. Okay, now you're moving up in the bullpen hierarchy. Brock Stewart, you're moving down, right? There, yep. There's easy moves like that. And and Maeda, we know that he he we don't have any concerns where he'd be facing the top of the order. You know, like yeah. They, they did that a little bit with Jorge Lopez at the beginning of the season. Emilio Pagan pretty much only comes in situations where he's not facing, you know, the the top of the order. Um, I think with Maeda, you'd be confident that you'd be like, you know, it, it's not the greatest. We, we know that you can't go long in this game, but we know that you can deal with, you know, two, three, four. Definitely. All right. Let's uh, do some quick notes here before we wrap up because we've already been going for an hour. So first up, the weekly Royce Lewis update. He's up to six games now, and he is hitting, to say the least. He has hit uh, 375, 409 with a 1375 OPS. That's with a 0 for 4 and three strikeouts game today. Uh, so still the numbers are good despite that. He has three home runs. He's also stolen three three bases. Um 
he's looking really good, but he's had some highs and lows along the way. I, I honestly just am encouraged by how aggressive he is at the, at the, on the bases. Like I know he's, he's trying to kind of prove that like he's back a little bit, but having a guy like that up in the majors who, uh, you know, granted he has gone through two ACL injuries, so we don't really know if he's completely made of glass, but he looks to be healthy while he's doing this in AAA, and uh, I'm excited to get a guy with some speed yeah. up in the majors. I mean, he's just such, like Buxton, right? He's just such a natural athlete, a natural talent. Where yeah. for him to come back after what he's played like 40 games total in the last three years, and then just mm-hmm. destroy AAA pitching like this, it's insane. Like I can't imagine being that far off from anything and then coming back and doing it that way. And so, um, yeah, it, it's been awesome to see. This is why. You know, prior to the injuries, he was a consensus top 10 prospect. He was one of yeah. the best prospects in baseball, period, and still would be if not for the injuries. He's mm-hmm. still on top most top 100 lists despite the injuries. And so um, he, it'll be really good to see. The main thing for him, again, with this rehab, yes, it's performance, especially for him, someone who hasn't played a lot of games recently. But it's also, okay, back-to-back games, three games in a row, three games in four nights. H- how does that look? How does your knee feel? How are just you feeling physically after having so much time off. And so again, that'll be a big indicator to where come June 1st is Royce Lewis with the twins or not. Honestly, with all these injuries that we're talking about, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you there. I, right now, I think there's an easy move where Polanco isn't ready, for example. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Royce Lewis, you're the third baseman. Kyle Farmer, you're the second baseman. Mm-hmm. Done. Right. Yep. And so really easy moves like that. Um, I know I teased everybody some Griffin Jack's thoughts, but we're running long here. And so I will save them for next week. The long version is quite long. The short version is I like Griffin Jack's as a person. I like that type of career trajectory for whatever reason. I love the like failed starter to really successful bullpen type. Andrew Chafin has his failed starter uh, t-shirts he loves to wear for the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, that kind of player, Glenn Perkins, Liam Hendricks, other guys like that. And so I, I think I'd give him a little more leeway than maybe he deserves, but also he's gotten so unlucky. But again, I'll save it for next week. Little yeah, a little, little tease right there for everyone next week to, to listen in. That's right. All right. So let's look ahead to the next week real quick before we wrap up. Uh, we have series at home against the Giants and the Blue Jays, which I think is funny because they're kind of opposites here in my mind where the Giants have no big names, but really better than expected results and one of the best hitters in the league this year in Lamont Wade Jr. Uh, so Jesus I'm sure Christ. Twins fans will take that well. <laughs> and then the Blue Jays, which are the exact opposite, which is they have all these big names, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, George Springer, uh, Dalton Varsho. I include him in that list. Uh, and yeah. the results, Jose Barrios, another one. Uh, but results are significantly worse than you expect from all those names. So, John, do you have any thoughts for those series next week? Uh, I mean, they're both going to be good tests. Um, I I feel like we say that every single week. Um, but the fact is the Blue Jays have the same line, the uh, same record as us. So it would definitely behoove us to be better than them in this series just to show that like, hey, yeah, we might have the same record right now, but we're going to be better than you guys. Yeah, I, I was looking at some stats before we came in here. Um, and the Blue Jays, they're very similar offensively to the Twins, uh, which is funny because the Blue Jays, it's like, oh, you know, up and coming team young. It's because they have the names, right? Where mm-hmm. the Twins don't have the names, so they don't get the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's fair. But, you know, it, it's very interesting to see that they're kind of in the same boat and the Twins have significantly better uh, starting pitching than the Blue Jays do. Uh, by the way, one other Blue Jays thing I want to mention, did you see what happened with Alec Manoa yesterday? 
Oh, that he got pulled uh, early? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the manager didn't realize that they had already used a mound visit. So on the second mound vi- visit, you have to make a pitching change, uh, which meant Alec Manoa got removed early. He was very upset about it. Uh, but yeah, what as far as like mistakes a manager can make, I feel like there's not that many because there's so much that goes on in the course of the game. It's kind of just luck, pitch change here, pinch hitter there. Mm-hmm. But this was just a brain fart, it seemed like, that, you know, could have really hurt the team so yeah could be worse it's one of those rules that i like hate but also like totally understand why it's in this <laughs> like why it's a rule right. um it is one of those things where i wish maybe a little bit more common sense could prevail it's like hey just so you know this is your second one but you know that's also on that's on the manager to remember that so it's on the manager it's also on the bench coach who i, I think that's kind of like technically supposed to be his responsibility of like hey right. we've already visited the mound mm-hmm. you got to physically grab the manager if you need to and keep him from yeah. going out there yeah it's like the get back coach in, uh, in, in pro football so. <laughs> yeah exactly uh, make sure you don't get a flag for uh, running too far out on the field yeah all right well thank you guys so much for listening to another week of the podcast we really appreciate you guys if you liked it be sure to like and subscribe share with your friends uh word of mouth is the best way to spread the podcast uh if you post about us on social media be sure to tag us as well uh we really appreciate all of that stuff and if you're liking what you're hearing, you can check out my work at Twinkie Town, where we're writing and covering all of the games, along with my awesome team over there. And you can hear John talk about fantasy baseball on Pitcher List. John, what is your fantasy tip of the week? Uh, I hesitate to suggest ever picking up a Detroit pitcher, but <laughs> Michael Lorenzen has two really good starts this week. So um, if you're looking for a two-start pitcher to stream, uh, Michael Lorenzen's your guy. I need relievers that will consistently get me saves or holds, which is the hardest thing to always nail down yeah. <laughs> in uh, fantasy baseball, unless you have some guy that's always out there in the ninth. I got Felix Batista, right? Awesome yes. example, always yep. out there in the ninth inning. Outside of that, every week I'm just adding and dropping different guys depending on usage. So. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. And honestly, I think that's one of the better ways to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. All right. Be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. You can follow John at the John Cup and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, follow the podcast on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll be back with you guys next week after the Twins inevitably score 50 runs in eight games because that's how things tend to go. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.